Hello! Thanks for downloading this podcast. Just a quick note to say that we've changed the name from Fight Back to the next round. We think the new title gives a more future-facing angle to our conversations with marketing and business leaders as they chat to us about the next round for their businesses. Enjoy this episode and make sure to subscribe. We're planning Series 3 now and it should be with you later this year. This is Fight Back, the innovation podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fight Back, the business innovation podcast. I'm your host, Robin Charney. I don't know about you, but I'm a little tired of the hyper attention given to entrepreneurs and startups. This is not a podcast about them. Fight Back is about those doing what I think is the hardest job in innovation, transforming heritage businesses. Today, I'm thrilled to be speaking with Nick Tate, VP and head of Next at GSK. GSK are a science-led global healthcare company with a special purpose, to help people do more, feel better, live longer. Now, let me tell you a bit about Nick. Nick has spent most of his career in leadership roles in agencies, which is where I've had the pleasure of working with him. He's a big proponent of creative thinking to solve business problems and has always embraced the new. His role at GSK is to discover, incubate, and scale new businesses across the changing face of health and well-being. He says it's literally the best job in the world and certainly the most meaningful one I've had. Welcome, Nick. Hello. Good to be here. Thank you. Thanks for joining me to talk about your fight back at GSK. So straight off the bat, why is your new role meaningful? Well, I think it kind of all starts for me for the the purpose of the business, which, you know, as you said, is to uh, help people uh, do more, feel better, live longer which has got to be a fairly meaningful purpose to come to work every day. And I think, you know, you're right. I spent years in in uh, agencies doing great work and I loved all of that. I love the creative process. But at the end of the day, you're positioning things to people that they might not necessarily need. And that's maybe a really, really um, nice way to think about that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a lot of for a lot of reasons, a lot of personal reasons, um, I just kind of really strive to understand if I have a modicum of talent or capability, what's the best way and how can I channel that? And, um, you know, we get to help people um, be better. And that's a pretty awesome thing to do. But I also feel a, a huge sense of accountability to do that. Large corporate organisations have, you know, significant resources and scale to make a, a dent on the world around them and I think they have accountability to do that and so being a small part of that or hopefully a large part of that in scaling net new businesses net new propositions helping people think about the way that they monitor and manage their health and well-being so they opt back into society is a is an awesome thing to do so you're helping move GSK beyond the pills potions and lotions Pills, potions and lotions. Positioning. Yeah. I think it's great. I think, you know, in this day and age to have a purpose in your work and to, to have something that gets you out of bed in the morning mm. and that you really want to do, I think you're really lucky. I agree with you. I think it's amazing. I'm really curious if you could maybe help um, the listeners understand a bit, you know, what fight are you in? Where Where is your disruption coming from and who is it yeah. coming from? Because I'm sure the competitive set is widening every day. So I'm fascinated to hear a bit about that. Our disruption is coming from other industries in terms of how consumers are being disrupted. Um, so, you know, we talk about, you know, the sense of immediacy and personalization, but really what you're butting up against there is essentially kind of the speed of Prime. You know, mm-hmm. my expectation as an Amazon Prime uh, customer now affect every level of service that I get across any sector. So that 
kind of sucks if you're any sector who's <laughs> who's trying to you know kind of go a bit quicker because that's my level of what I understand to be what what good looks like mm-hmm. to coin a horrible phrase. But I think in terms of you know disruptions is coming from from everywhere. So it's coming from large tech organisations. It's coming from any organisation that is malleable enough to create new permission space or has a connection with the consumer where they would be a valid player in the healthcare space. So it could come from insurance, could come from technology like. Google, it could obviously come from Apple, it could come from Amazon who bought PillPack, it could come from small startups that are more nimble, it could come from functional food companies like Mondelez or or Igloo, like anywhere. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, everything that we do affects our health and well-being. Um, And I think the interesting thing and the the conversation, which is so fascinating to me around health and well-being, is what do we mean by by health and wellness now? And, and, and I think an interesting conversation for GSK at the moment is all of these incredible disruptions are happening all around us and amazing things happen when things start to get disrupted and the convergence of technologies and consumer expectations and and uh, and people's passion for doing things differently all come together. So we are, yeah, it is a fight against everywhere. It sounds vast and and quite quite a you know a, a huge opportunity but also a huge challenge. So can you tell me a bit about specifically in your role, you know, I think when we've spoken previously it was all about launching new products and new services for GSK. Can you tell me a bit more about what that remit entails? What is what does ahead of next do? It means getting into new areas which are kind of adjacent or augmented to our existing businesses uh, of which we have incredible products. It's thinking more around the pill and where could and should GSK play in the value chain of health, which is expansive. And the second thing is, I always say it's a lot more comfortable to disrupt yourself, <laughs> you know, than oh, to be... If you disrupt- don't do it, someone some, else will. Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> Everyone else is trying to do it. So mm. helping to accelerate that that journey, it's about bringing the very best of GSK to the outside world and bringing the very best of the outside world to GSK. And then just getting out and getting stuff done and actually needing to just say it's okay, like we're going to do it. How can we do more if that's our remit to help people do more, feel better, live longer? But are you working with startups? Are you building your own ventures from scratch? Are you rolling up to the scientists in white coats and saying, ooh, you know, that thing you didn't look at for 20 years, give me that and I'll I'll go do something with that? It's a mix of all those things, really. I haven't got a pool of virtual reality developers looking at the gamification of health. I will go and speak to startups who have got amazing people doing that and say, how can we work together to create more value um, for everybody? This notion of reciprocity, you know, which is, okay, well, what can I do to help you versus what can I take, can I take from you? You know, which, which if you walk around the valley, you know, the entire place is predicated on a, essentially a support system of helping to sustain brilliant people to do brilliant things. And, you know, corporates, I think, can, can learn a lot from that um, in terms of, thinking about their place and their role and being maybe a, a, a platform of partners. And then I think just in terms of academia and um, VC, historically been a huge amount of work in that space with, with, with GSK and something that we are then starting to accelerate through other areas. The biggest, one of the biggest things I think we need to be mindful of is, is showing up as one GSK because there's, there's nothing more frustrating as a small business or any any business right than than having the same conversation with several different yeah. people so we're trying to look at how do we how do we stream like that and, and be far more strategic about those those have, partnerships have you got any tips about that because i think you know based on the nature of the the types of brands i'm speaking to on this podcast you know they are big i think what it comes down to is having a very very clear strategy and understanding why you're doing what you're doing i really enjoyed my time working in agencies and consultancies and and, and startups 
you need to get in a room with people and understand what it is they are trying to achieve, but more importantly, why it is they're trying to achieve it. I'm very curious as to why things are and why people have acted in a certain way. And and that ultimately has to be backed up by a data point. You kind of go, well, what? what? So they did that and then they did that. And if we we understood if we really dug into that insight do we understand why people are doing that where's the heat in that is that partially do you think because you've come from a from a background of agencies where people did question your thinking do you think that's the skill you've brought with you i think it's definitely formative i mean i remember being in meetings as a 21 year old (laughs) being asked if i didn't have an opinion then i wasn't allowed in the room Mm. you'd be asked why like, why do you think that? Mm. Which is essentially why you're here, you know? Um, I guess I'm, I'm fascinated by why people do stuff. I'm, mm. I mean, people call that curiosity. I just think it's a bit, a bit nosy. That's you know? what I say. I always have a I'm bit nosy. I'm just a bit nosy. I just want to, I'm intrigued by what people say. And I'm also intrigued about what people do. And I'm really, really intrigued about what and why people think. Those are the underlying kind of drivers which drive our behavior. And from a healthcare perspective, and we've, we've talked a little bit about this, there's kind of nothing more personal than your health. Trying to understand why people do stuff, at the end of the day, it's our health regime is built on behaviours which are built on preconceptions or misconceptions which are built around a filter of how we think about the world around us. And like that is a human condition, you know, which then manifests itself. Trying to understand a modicum of that mm. is is down to just understanding what makes people tick. So yeah, I suppose agencies are places where we use insight and then apply creativity to solve business problems which is what i loved about when i first arrived in ad agencies i loved the idea of using my brain uh creatively to work with other creative people to find a creative way to solve a big horrible thorny problem you know and when you talk about that inside a big corporate like gsk do you and you say you know i want to use creativity to solve these problems do you get sideways glances i think people are looking actively looking for people to help them think through problems and um there is a thirst for that knowledge and that experience. Um, so there's no sideway glances. Often when we talk about kind of getting things moving in a corporate environment, your first reaction when you hear somebody say no or I don't like it or whatever is a guttural reaction to something that they don't understand. Mm. You know, if you've had people in teams who are brilliant at what they do, who have been working for a long time in an organisation, who have been incredibly successful, don't be surprised (laughs) when you turn around and you say to them, by the way, we're going to ask you to do something that is net new. We're going to work at a pace that you're probably not comfortable with. We're going to talk in a way that you're not used to working. We're going to create things that you've been told for the last X number of years you can't do. And by the way, I don't know if it's going to work. (laughs) So how do you manage that change? And I think that the, the best way to do that is... It comes back to the data point. Like you've just got to have some results and go. How can we make it better? You know. Do you also need buy-in from different levels and different people? Do you need that air cover from the top? Yeah, thousand percent. So, just speaking a bit about specifics. So, you've got buy-in, you've got budget, you've got people. Yep. Sounds amazing. Sounds like an innovation nirvana. How are you being measured? Um, I'm sure you just don't have complete free reign. Although maybe you do. No, and and to be honest with you, (laughs) I I didn't want that. Mm. I want metered funding thank you very much i can't go carte blanche and go and spank it all in the first <laughs> the first sexy startup right. that comes across <laughs> your path buy it. let's do it let's get it oh my god we're in the valley let's do it no come not, back nick yeah back. not at all and i wouldn't want that because i think that that's a very passe way of thinking about things we're measured against failure rate we're measured against the horizons we're measured against the number of experiments we get done out the door and then of course learnings right so how have we how have we gone quicker in something and learned not to go and do go down that avenue? Because what we found is 
in a couple of instances that actually the learnings that we have from one project are directly apply, applicable to another to an, to somebody Could else. Could you give me a quick example? Yeah, of course. So um, we we launched a thing last December called the Digital Brand Incubator, right? So kind of harking on legacy agency days, I suppose. But it was fascinating to me that we have all of these amazing brands. But there's an opportunity to maybe think about them slightly differently. And so we took this brand called Biotine, which is a brand for a condition called dry mouth. Mm-hmm. And people who get dry mouth usually are either cancer sufferers or they are, or they take a lot of meds. So they are in a pretty bad way, you know, any way you cut it. It's mm-hmm. not great. We'd spoken to them traditionally in quite an expert way, which which definitely has its benefits. But when we started to uncover an, an experiment around comms and channel and kind of that end of the front end of marketing, we uncovered that actually the, the conversation wasn't the user's it was the carers of people who unsurprisingly are more emotionally motivated to act on the behalf of other people. And we found out some amazing insights, like the conversation was from 11 p.m. until four in the morning. So that starts to really affect the way you think about your comms, your media buy, Mm -hmm. uh, your positioning, your product development. In the UK, it kicked sales by 43%, and it did it at um, 60% of the investment. Again, Petri dish, small, super scrappy team of cross-functional team of people around something that we called literally the kitchen table. And it was around empowering that team to go and just go and do, you know, go and think. And and so they were literally hacking ads and writing Facebook posts and buying media and going out to old people's homes. And they had this amazing thought, which I thought was really lovely, was it was around Christmas. And I said, we've got 10 days before Christmas. What are we going to do? And they were like, mm. and they kind of came back to me and they went, it's a really interesting insight. Uh, the only thing that should be dry at Christmas is your turkey. Mm. I was like, I love that. <laughs> love it. So where's the pressure point for that? Who needs a conversation most at Christmas? Old people in nursing homes. What an amazing stress test for that. And then they went in there, they delivered it. And they just, what was fascinating was that the carers, professional carers, like they knew of the condition, but they didn't know if the tr- there was a treatment out there. So they just kept on giving people water, which actually doesn't help this condition. And so it was from there, you get this insight around caring. And then you go, well, is it professional carers or family carers? Actually, it's family carers are more motivated. And it's that kind of uh, level of, of experimentation, you know, where you can be super quick and super scrappy. And then all of these insights then start to flow out and allows us to think of our, of our opportunity in that brand and the role of that brand and the permission space of that brand to operate in a far different way than it being just this thing that sits on a bathroom cabinet. All of a sudden, it's always on. It's always with you. So therefore, you need a social brand. Okay, wow, what right does Biotene have to be a social brand? Well, it kind of helps you communicate. Okay, now we're in a really interesting space for this brand to talk. Was that all an internal team exercise because it was a small experiment? Um, or were no, you using your partners? And if you do, I'd love to hear a bit more about what the benefits are. We use partners a lot. Having worked at businesses and agencies and consultancies where they can say everybody can do everything, mm. that's not true. That's not true. We know that. Um I've worked at agencies when I've said I can do everything. That wasn't true either. I didn't believe you then either. No, good. I didn't believe it either. <laughs> One of the problems with a corporate is hiring people is hard. Mm. Talent's a huge right. issue. It really is. And so we use specialist partners to help us spin stuff up quick and to bring in yeah, kind of like specialist uh, skill sets as, as and when needed. So venturing and all of the running up and down stairs and 
calling up a shopping mall or thinking about a license from a council or getting on the phone to like a load of random hygienists or going and speaking to a VR like pain doctor, you don't, you're not going to get those skill sets in an agency, even with the best producer in the world, because it's not an ad you're producing, it's a business and it's a very, very different way. And I think you need people who have kind of walked through that those fires, I know I have, mm. when you know what it takes to get that stuff done and the tenacity to kind of just keep going. You know, every time you pick up the phone and someone says no, it's like, well, we're going to do it this way. Okay, well, that doesn't work out. We're going to do it this way. Tell me a bit about what next is all about and how that came around it's kind of adventures in healthcare you know it's uh, how do we how do you create net new businesses for a 10 billion dollar business if adding true value 100 years ago was you know kind of democratizing pills and potions and lotions so the world could have it because they hadn't had analgesics and topicals and and paracetamol and all the rest mm. of this stuff then what does that reimagining of that start to look like in a world which is fiercely competitive and uh, moving at such a pace you know so so next is about that it's one aspect of driving that and discovering that that growth and I, I think of it as kind of growth hacking the business like what can we do to create tangible real incremental benefit um whereas i think previously the work we were doing was a little bit of that but it was more around accelerating some awesome uh projects that have were born within gsk and i think it just needed a slightly different uh, skill set and capability set to think about those those projects and, and those products and services. So this is net new, whereas that was building on the shoulders of others. Yeah, it was. In some mm. instances, it was. In some mm. instances, it, it was um, going going from the start. Okay. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, all of those have their um, uh, amazing benefits and, and challenges. Um, and I think that the, you know, I'm just super. I mean, I was excited about both. You know, I was excited about the branding incubator work we did. I was excited about when we mm-hmm. did this stuff with the digital innovation hub. Really excited about next because we got to, you know, get to really think about what role does that play in a wider business strategy, and and you're not just ticking the innovation box. And I had a very clear conversation with my boss, like, and if you want me to just, if you want to just have some nice lattes, and do some post-it note work, and everyone can wear a Converse, that's awesome. But I'm not the person to do that for you. So, so you don't have a room full of post-it notes? At yeah, the of course office. I do. Of course I have a room full of post-it notes. <laughs> Post notes everywhere. Uh, you can't get away from it, can you? If apparently no one can write on anything else. No, it's like it's cor- no, we the Sharpie, write- Sharpie market has cornered corporate innovation. Um, I know someone who's doing a, an innovation around innovating the Sharpie. There you go then. To make it more eco-friendly. Yeah, well, renewable. they should do because of all of that plastic. And sustainable. It's Absolutely. It's, it's happening, Nick. Good. I'm glad to it's hear happening. it. It's happening. Don't you worry. Innovation directors all over the world are sighing an eco-friendly <laughs> sigh of relief. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, that's what I was excited about, I think. Fantastic. So what have you learned? Communication and contact is the single most important thing, whilst also maintaining your ability to uh, to not actually to, to go yourself. You know, and that's a tricky balance to have and actually clarity. I failed to really recognise the importance of clarity in corporate organisations. Getting clarity or being clear? Both. Both. Being clear on swim lanes and being clear on reason and deliverables and what people are signing up to do. Like that was very clear to me. The second thing I think was get results earlier, like as quickly as possible, because as soon as you've got some data you can actually have a real conversation and you're moving you're moving the conversation away from emotional theory from conjecture as right. you told me right yeah absolutely you've got to remove two things you've got to remove conjecture and consensus conjecture you've got to have a data point and consensus everybody has the right to an opinion and it should always absolutely be listened to it just may not be acted upon 
and especially if they don't have any data. How do you give that message in in an innovation environment where everyone's encouraged to have opinions? How do you balance those two? You don't. You just bring it all to the fore. I mean, it's it's interesting that so many conversations in corporate organisations seems to happen after the meeting has happened. Oh, yeah. The hallway conversation. And like, if we can't have the discussion based on the data that's in front of us and we cannot get to a decision within 20 minutes based on that data, and admittedly, you know, some situations are more complex than others. It's not as simple as saying, well, that one's better than that one. And we have to interpret and understand the relative value of our data. And then I think also is you just have to continually remind yourself that there is there is always a way to get something done, you know, and, and it's just about how much effort and time you're going to willing to kind of chip away at it. But things will always happen, especially if you have some data and you're understanding the why of kind of what you're doing. So the lesson there is... I think it's just it's just tenacity. Like you've just got to keep going. You know, it's it's. Um, I was listening to an amazing podcast the other day, um, Tim Ferriss podcast with Julie Rice from mm-hmm. SoulCycle, mm. and he asked her this amazing question at the end, uh, which was, you know, if you were going to do a a billboard as to your kind of mantra and it, and it wasn't commercial, when what would it be? And she she said there's no elevator to success. You've got to take the stairs. And, and I completely agree with that. It is hard. This stuff is hard. People will always push back against you. It's not that they're doing it because they're mean or horrible. They're just, they're pre-programmed to question and you've just got to keep going. Every time you have that conversation, make sure that you have some data to back up your opinion. And then I think the other thing is allow people to celebrate your successes with you. We were very clear around the successes that we've had internally and then celebrating those people who helped us do that. Because then all of a sudden, innovation isn't this in this room with a bloody 3D printer and a pool table <laughs> and some sneakers and and Kanbans, business model canvases and lean startups. And you're like, oh, God, you know, that isn't real life. So, yeah. you know, so that's I think that's super important. You've talked about your work environment and kind of, you know, the successes you've had at GSK and how you've navigated that transition into a new role. But can you tell me a bit about personally what what motivates you either in this role or in IRL in real life? In real life. I mean, I just I'm um, just a firm believer that you have a limited amount of time to make a as significant a dent as you possibly can. But how can you do that in a way where you're actually building stuff? And, and so much, so many things that we, when people feel that they're doing things and, and all credit to them, you know, is around just creating PowerPoint. <laughs> and, <laughs> or email. Or email. And, you know, years ago I was in, I was in uh, bands and stuff and I love the idea of the ability to write something and whether it's a book or a song or a poem or whatever. Mm-hmm. And for somebody who's never met you to kind of understand what you're talking about. I thought that was really interesting. And and I think the kind of that ability to like make a dent on somebody, you know, like a good dent <laughs> was something that always kind of stuck with me. And so why would I not want to do that wherever I can with, with my work? So the, the tangibility of actually doing something that is going to affect people in a positive way, I've always found was kind of very, very meaningful. Great. Thank you. Nick for joining us on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I've learned a lot. It's been real. Um, thank you very much. Well, no, thank you. And also, I think these things are amazing. Everyone spends their time talking about what small businesses are doing. And corporate organizations have, as I said, this a massive accountability and to upskill people and make and say it's okay and they're empowered to do these things. So I think it's awesome. And I would love 
at some point to come back and do it all again. We'd love to have you. Thanks, Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fight Back. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and look out for other episodes where we'll be speaking with those leading the fight back in retail, travel, financial services, and other industries at the sharp end of disruption. If you enjoyed this episode and have any thoughts or comments, please give us a rating and a review. It helps us be discovered and grow. Tell your friends and colleagues. Feel free to contact me. I'm at rcharney on Twitter, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Fight Back is brought to you by AAR. We're a London-based management consultancy helping businesses maximize their partner relationships across marketing and innovation. For more information, please visit us at aargroup.co.uk. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of Something Else Productions. Thanks, guys. See you next time.